What if you were born with a disease that you always knew would kill you? And then what if all of a sudden you were given a second chance? Well, that's exactly what happened to me. And it's the question that we explore on the new podcast series, Breathless from Snack Labs. Join me, Jeremy Saunders, for a series that explores what it means to live and die, to love and to lose, and what it's like to have your whole life turned upside down and the unexpected challenges that come with a life-saving drug. You can listen to Breathless now, wherever you get your podcasts. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. This is, this is going to be great. We're joined with Jem all the way from Berlin. And uh, we just learned Jem's favorite uh, German word. Can you just say it one more time? Geschirrspülmaschine. <laughs> <laughs> Which translates loosely to dishwasher. Jem, uh, <laughs> uh, before, we, before I, I get you to introduce yourself to our listeners, uh, I have a two-part question. How old are you? I'm 31. I just turned Gemini. Happy birthday. Okay. And were you, you were you named after Gem from Gem and the Holograms? You know what? I named myself because I am trans non-binary. Um, so I kind of named myself, honestly. Well, I, I was trying to conjure the name like out of the ethers. Do you know what I mean? I was like eating mushrooms and having psychedelic ceremonies and sort of trying to like intuit what my like name was. And for the longest time, I just got radio silence like nothing came to me like over and over and I was like this is the year or this is the birthday I'm setting this intention I'm gonna find my name never found it and then one day I was just kind of like sitting on the floor playing with my cat thinking about absolutely nothing there was there were no thoughts in my head and then my name just like landed like a lightning bolt Ooh. and I was like oh my god whoa like <laughs> <laughs> gem 
but I, I am also inspired by Steven Universe. It's one of my favorite cartoons. And there are some lesbian alien characters that are basically crystals. <laughs> and they're called crystal gems. And I'm inspired right. by them. But yeah, anything gem-like I am inspired by. Very cool. Very wow, cool. Wow, okay. so cool. I love how the I love the patience of waiting yeah. Yeah. for it to arrive and not just settling on like something. And like I mean, I feel like I feel like it's pretty it's it's a, a fairly relatable thing to to experience something where like a really solid idea comes to you and it feels great, but to like amp that up, you know, like by 10 points because it's not just just a great idea it's literally your fucking name like that is (laughs) (laughs) that's a pretty cool feeling (laughs) yeah yeah it it really did feel like lightning it was one of those um like moments of of total transparency that Mm. that are nice where you can kind of feel between the veils yeah that was that was that was good neat i like that great Jim, uh, uh, please take a moment to introduce yourself to our listeners. Give us a little bit of insight into uh, who Jim is. Indeed. Um, so I'm originally from the States. I'm from Wisconsin. Um, and I moved to Berlin in 2015. I have spent the majority of my career about nine years as a doula, um, a full spectrum doula and a lactation consultant. So accompanying families through times of great transition, through grief, through birth, um, through the lactation and postpartum phase. And that's really been my intense passion is reproductive justice. Um, but I kind of just came to a crossroads, honestly, not dissimilar from the for, from the name process, where I kind of just knew that there was a title shift happening within myself and within my work. Um, and over the past few years, I have made the transition. I've kind of molted and like come out of into a new dragonfly form. And for me, sex work is my my new passion. Um, and pro dominatrix work um, has been a really big focus uh, of the past few months. And yeah, I think that for me, I can see the thread from doula work to pro dom work very clearly. Ooh. Um, to basically have the capacity to hold space for people who are potentially experiencing high levels of sensation, helping give people easy to use communication tools so that they can advocate for themselves, describe their intentions and boundaries, ask for what they want, receive things that might be edgy for them. Um, the whole kind of non-judgmental aspect of it, where you, you, you really keep an open mind to what experience, what creative experience could unfold between you and a person when you're basically facing the unknown together, mm. um, which I think, you know, pleasure and pain, transformation, life, death, these are all things which bring us into very close contact with the unknown. So for me, mm. the threat is clear, although I know for a lot of people... Um, they've been a little bit shocked when I kind of said, you know, this is my transition and this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm unveiling. Um, but yeah, for me, it's, it's been, it's been flowy. Wow. I, I have never heard the term, um, full spectrum doula before I've heard birth doula. I've heard death doula, but what you just talked about, particularly like walking families through grief is so interesting Mm. to me. Um, it's, I, I don't, I have a little bit of an obsession with grief and, uh, and I would, I, I I don't know what else to say other than I am now going to go and look into, is this, is this like, is grief doula-ing a thing on its own? And Jeremy, you're doing a death doula course right now is I mean obviously those two you could see how those go hand in hand and I'm sure postpartum and grief go hand in hand but Mm -hmm. like 
Yeah, I'm uh, I'm done now. I'm done. I'm I'm a, I'm a certified death doula. Congrats! Shout that's out. major. Doulas unite. What's up? Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, grief pr- processing and handling grief is like a massive part of being a death doula. Mm-hmm. But um, but again, like to to your point there, grief. A lot. I think a lot of people think of grief and and really like tie that word to death, and it, it like almost like as though. It, it it they go hand in hand. It's only grief. Grief only comes from death. But grief, <laughs> yeah. we grieve. We grieve so many things. I grieve today. Just... We we. I mean, you know, any any kind of large change in your life will more often than not come with some form of grief. And um, and so you know, you talk about a family having a child for the very first time, or a family having a child for the fifth fucking time. Um, mm-hmm. There's going to be you know elements of grieving that come with that for some people maybe not for others but um so i can definitely see like how knowing how to talk about grief or knowing how to give guidance into um managing and and anticipating and and like Holding leaning it, into grief living through this mm-hmm. space for mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. this yeah. the art of space holding has been the um how do I even put it's like the 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 I've, I think of myself as like a humble servant to birth and to people who birth and also to death and to people who hold death and whose loved ones die and so I always picture myself just kind of like kissing the hem of their garment um, it's like a very humble approach I think with a lot of fields um, especially under capitalism we're encouraged to use the framework of mastery um, and achievement to define our professions and to define our influence. Um, and I've been really interested in like a, a an almost submissive approach um, to being with something which is so unfathomable in its power that all one can do. You, like my goal with these human experiences is to listen to them more than I speak to them. Mm-hmm. And that's been a really important balance for me to hold um, to not come in and say, well, I know what to do, or I have the answer, or I have this experience, but to really understand first, where is this person meeting me? And one of the kind of eureka moments with that was when I realized that grief is something we can experience over loss. You know, you mentioned, Bridie, the postpartum time. Of course, people are, there's a part of themselves that's dying, and there's a part of themselves that's being reborn. Um, their non-parent self dies, or the part of them that just had one child that they could focus all their energy on dies so that their new parent self or their multiples parent self or whatever it is can be born. And there is that aspect of loss and grieving, but there's also a grief that we can experience as humans that I don't think gets enough attention that is actually a hallmark of growth and positive change. Mm -hmm. And so often in my own life, I've felt really shitty after I had some kind of massive abundance come into my life. And I know a lot of friends have felt that way. I mean, most of my friends are female and, you know, female socialized or trans socialized people. So we obviously have like kind of a bigger weight around um, receiving oftentimes, Uh, not, you know, always, I don't like to make generalizations, but that's definitely been true. But it's interesting how often like we'll strive for something or I'll strive for something like secure and stable housing or a higher income level, or I want funding for a project or whatever it is. And then when I receive the thing that I really want, I feel like I don't deserve it, or I feel like I should give it away, or I feel like they made a mistake, or I experience imposter syndrome. And sometimes I think it's really lovely to be like, oh, I'm grieving because something good happened. 
That is Ooh. so wild. And I've been reading um, a little bit about dopamine and um, this book called Dopamine Nation and reading a lot about addiction and um, and how that can be like positive things can be incredibly triggering for people who are addicts. And a lot of time relapse happens after like a really positive thing happens. And it's so... I just have so much compassion for how fucking complicated. It's not complicated. I don't think it's that complicated to be a human being, but just to it's make pretty, sense. It's pretty complicated. To make sense of all. And but we're just a big bag of fluid and chemicals. Uh, and and That's complicated. The way we work is complicated. The world around us is complicated. The universe itself that we are existing in is beyond complicated. It's, com- it's complicated, but it also... It also, it's like that, it's like that, that saying, like, it's not, it's not easy, but it's simple. Mm. Mm. Um, and that, and, and it's like, we have these fucking brains that are so amazing and like so capable, but it leads to so much grief and stress and anxiety and like things that we don't see in other living beings. And it's like, Mm. I said, I texted my, my partner today and, and I, I was just like, I don't like the culture that we live in is, is it's cat, it's capitalism and it's limbic capitalism is my new favorite term. Mm, um, never heard that. Thank you for that. You're welcome. And, and just like, why is it so fucking hard to just feel like you belong here or there's a space <sighs> here or that mm. you have worth just as just not for the things that you do, but like for existing anyway, all of, all of a lot of grief attached to, to thoughts like that for sure. When, when you say bag of chemicals, like bag of fluid and chemicals, I get really excited. Like when you say (laughs) limbic capitalism, I get really excited because so much of my work does center on basically the hormonal blueprint, which determines our experiences and how hormones can be when undisturbed an entry point into altered states of consciousness. Um, I think most people are familiar with altered states of consciousness from drugs. Um, so people are, you know, familiar with like Valium or I don't know, like LSD, like these are things where people can kind of instantly click into an understanding of what altered state that may bring about. But people I think have lost touch a lot with what the kind of inherent biological and somewhat organic altered states are that are available in our bodies because we do habitually interfere with them so much. And so much of my work around birth has just been doing advocacy around um, helping people to have less disturbed birth experiences because there's a massive, massive amount, decades worth of huge, huge research. So much, so much proof, like unequivocal proof that the less you disturb birth, the healthier the outcomes for parents and babies in general, especially for low risk birthing people. That is true across the board. And yet uh, it's just not the case in most birth environments. What do you mean by undisturbed? So people who are giving birth, and this is actually a perfect mirror for a state of arousal. So since we're on the Turn Me On podcast, like (laughs) 
This is the same types of things are happening during um, a, a spontaneous labor as are happening during spontaneous arousal. So you might have blood that is rushing to the genitals. You might have lubrication of the genitals. Any erectile tissue in the genitals is going to become engorged um, and you know very spacious. Um, the person is going to become most likely less verbal. So going from a place where they could ask questions, answer questions, maybe even speak in a different language, you know, the, the sort of beta brainwaves that you and I are using to have this conversation, they're going to they're gonna exit that a little bit and see, sink more into a theta brain state in which, um, you know, if you said something like, hey, do you want some water? Their response might be, mm. you know, they might not even turn or lift their head, but just uh, like that's sort of, you know, these nonverbal cues become uh more of an indicator of what state of mind they're at and so even just to talk to someone to require them to use rational thinking to speak to them in a, a language that's not their native tongue um to be a stranger who enters a room um to open the door without asking and give them a sense of being watched or having their kind of private space invaded on these are just a few tiny examples of essentially interventions in birth and interventions in arousal. And I think a lot of people who um, know arousal states in themselves have had an experience where they might have been gearing up for intimacy some with someone. And they're like, hell yeah, I'm in the mood. It's on. It's happening. I'm feeling aroused. And then maybe like their phone rings and their grandma is calling or like the doorbell rings. And it's like they're suddenly thinking, did I order a package? Who is at the door? Wait, what is going on? And like you can go from a heightened state of arousal to that dropping in a second sometimes. I mean, it can just disappear. And scientists who work with oxytocin, which is actually the hallmark primary hormone that marks the progress of the birth process and also of arousal and intimacy and bonding with humans and is, you know, released in a massive dump when we give birth and also when we orgasm. Oxytocin has been nicknamed by a lot of people the shy hormone because of this capacity it has in the body to kind of build up, build up, build up, but to be quite easily kind of scared away. And that's mm. because the body doesn't process mm. it as a life or death hormone. It's seen as almost like a little bit of like a luxury. Mm. So it competes for the same receptors in the body that adrenaline competes for. So if any adrenaline is present, if someone's cold, if someone's afraid, if someone feels like their privacy is invaded, adrenaline will run up to the receptors that the oxytocin is trying to bind to and the adrenaline will win out and bind to those receptors and be received and used by the body over the oxytocin every single time because the body senses and perceives and uses adrenaline as life or death. Hmm. Wow, that's so wild. I never heard of the um the the idea of like the 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 shy hormone. That's really that's really neat. Uh, it makes so much sense. Yeah. Because yeah. that state is uh, can so fickle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, really. It's fragile. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. yeah. I love that. I, I mean, speaking of, I mean, this, this is kind of changing the topic a little bit, but, but in the, it's kind of, kind of in the same vein. I would love to hear your thoughts um, about, especially from the, the context of a doula, because I'm sure that this is something that gets asked about or is, or is talked about or that you've, like put some focus into when working with clients, but, um, you know, birth, uh, speaking of grief, uh, birth, giving birth for, for, for people, couples can oftentimes be like a really stressful thing. And I know that after birth with things like postpartum, or if there were any kind of like 
you know, health issues with the birth, um, things like, I don't know, like a cesarean or, you know, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, of, uh, Untimely plucked from. No, no, no. When you, when there's a, uh, uh, um, uh, I, I, I don't know why all I can think of is hemorrhoids. Induction. I mean, I, hemorrhoids for sure. A hundred percent. But <laughs> hemorrhoids for not, sure. Not, Induction. Not, no, no. Um, a, uh, episiotomy. Oh, oh for um, fuck's sakes. When your insides are coming ectopic? out of your outsides. Oh, a prolapse. Thank you. Really bad prolapse. prolapse. My, my, my gosh, Jeremy. Um, so anyway, all that to say, my assumption is that for some people, after the after the process of birth happens, um, sex and intimacy can be something that is like hard to get back into the swing of things. Um, whether it has to do with the way you feel about your body, or again, like recovery, or or just mentally from something like postpartum. So, what kinds of like issues do people sometimes face when it comes to sex and intimacy after giving birth? Were you going to say something, Bridie? No, I was still in my head about the, the prolapsing. I think you were looking for the word hernia, which is why hemorrhoids that was up. That was the yeah. word I was looking for. Thank you. That was the word I go. was looking for. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There was a, <laughs> that was it. Yeah. Yes. Well, you named some of them. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, in my practice as a doula, I've seen everything. It's really run the gamut. I have had clients who wanted to have sex and be intimate, you know, within less than a week after giving birth. Um, and we're asking me, you know, hey, is it safe even for us to have penetrative sex, you know, when we're six days post-birth? And that was totally shocking to me. But also I was like, damn, <laughs> get it, you know, like, wow. And then I've had people who, you know, contacted me years after giving birth and said, I never, like, it's just not even been, it's not been a priority. It hasn't been something that's felt safe. It hasn't been a desire. I felt numbness or I felt afraid or I've had pain um, or my desire has shifted um, or a lot of people get touched out is kind mm -hmm. of the phrase that a lot of parents use where, especially when you're body feeding, there can be a sense that there's a body on you and also sucking on a very sensitive area, your nipple, which contains erectile tissue, like constantly, almost, you know, like newborns do tend to feed about eight to 12 times in a 24 hour period and they don't have circadian rhythms. So there's no difference for them between night and day. It really does feel like a constant feeding process for a lot of newborn parents. Um, and so some people just have this experience where they're like, I can't do more touch beyond someone sucking on my nipples 24 seven. Um, and so, yeah, seeing the whole spectrum of how far in many different directions it can go, I would say that the thing that is kind of in common is people experiencing their genitals differently. Mm -hmm. Um, the so the clitoris grows during pregnancy and it grows and then it just stays bigger it's just permanently enlarged for the rest of someone's life um people who give birth might have a little bit of tearing that heals um if they're in a more medicalized setting with a provider that does this procedure more often they might you know even receive a, a cut to their genitals to their perineum and their pelvic floor during birth which is going to be usually a lot harder to heal than an organic tear. Mm. Um, there are so many things that can change the shape and sensation of the bottom and of the pelvic floor. And it's such a complex area because there are 27 muscle groups that actually converge there. 
Um, and they have to do with your ability to stand upright. They have to do with your fight or flight response. They're very linked to your pituitary gland and how you release hormones, how you perceive and release dopamine. You know, all of these things are getting reorganized while your brain centers are actually changing. And certain aspects, if you are the lead parent or a primary caregiver of a baby, it doesn't matter what gender or what like relationship status you will have permanent changes to your brain. There will be areas that shrink and areas that grow, which again, are never going to go back. They're just going to be permanently changed. So if you imagine how much just biological and physiological transition someone's experiencing, it's totally understandable that their entry points to desire and relating and intimacy and touch and orgasm and also potentially penetration could be also changing along with that. Mm increased desire, decreased desire, you know, any number of things. Um, But I do encourage people to kind of start with the foundation of just the health of their pelvic floor. Um, Pelvic floor physiotherapists are a really underutilized resource. Um, Yes. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. I just booked my first appointment for next week. (laughs) Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. Yes. uh, I celebrate that. Okay. Yeah. I'm really excited about it. And I got really emotional when I was filling out the intake form because yeah. I'm 39 and I, I was, you know, telling my life history and that's like, you're like, oh my Lord, like so many years of just being like, well, this isn't an area that we talk about being important for your overall health. And so when I think about like, digestive disorders and sexual dysfunction and painful yeah. menstruation and all of that shit. And you're like, holy fuck, this is just right, just right here. It's like not that far away yeah. from the things that I feel are really important, like my heart, my lungs and my brain, but like, there's so much in there. Yeah. I'm excited it's, for that appointment for yeah. sure. And a little I'm excited emotional already. For you. <laughs> yes. And emotions are great. I mean, crying is a parasympathetic nervous response. It's one of the ways that our body brings us back to a regulated state. It's so healing to cry. So I'm sure any great pelvic floor ther- physical therapist is going to be welcoming of any emotions that come up for you around that appointment. Um, but yeah, it's just too bad how much pain is normalized you know, really pathological pain is normalized for, you know, menstruating and ovulating and childbearing people. It's just shocking Mm -hmm. how much is uh, brushed aside. I mean, I don't know how it is in Canada, but in the States, after someone gives birth, they have one checkup appointment after six weeks where they have to go into their gynecologist's office. They get a basic examination and the gynecologist, quote, approves them for penetrative sex again. And if they ask things about their pelvic floor function, if they say I'm having incontinence, if they say I'm having ongoing pain or numbness or any of these things, the gynecologist will basically say, well, you should have thought of that before you had a kid. Like it's all completely normalized and swept under the rug. The Mm. fact of the matter is with urinary incontinence, for example, if it's not healed within the first year after giving birth, the chances of it being lifelong are greatly increased because that is the time when the muscle groups are kind of coming back together and your soft tissues are converging again and finding their way. So that's the perfect, perfect Mm. opportunity to heal it. And when you think about the fact that, you know, if we're lucky enough to live a longer life, incontinence is one of the leading reasons why people do go into assisted care facilities. You know, you could have, 5, 10, 20 years of your life, of your freedom, 
redirected. Do you know what I'm talking at the end yeah. of life? If mm. you're experiencing incontinence, and this is something that should have been caught and addressed right after birth, people are told like, oh, this is normal. Oh, I'm just going to pee for the rest of my life. Every time I sneeze. No, that is a pathology. It is healable and it deserves to be treated. You deserve to have good information and you deserve to regenerate to a place of health. You should not actually long-term be peeing when you sneeze just because you had a baby. That's like yeah. not a fair thing to expect. Yeah. Turn Me On Podcast will be back after this short break. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. I, I, I this is, uh, I, I've been thinking about, I've been thinking about like kids a lot lately, like thinking about having, having a kid somewhat soon, like in the next, you know, within the next five years. And so these are the, whenever I ha I'm having these types of conversations, which luckily for me with the two podcasts that I, that I host, uh, these types of conversations seem to come up every so often. So I'm like, <laughs> right, take note. Okay. Incontinence bad. Incontinence bad. I'm sorry. I really, yeah. I really appreciate it. Um, but, uh, one thing that I'm kind of dying to, to ask you about is the transition from the transition from working as a birth doula to, a, uh, including work as a, as a sex worker. Um, and I, I can't help but think there's there's got to be I mean I feel like there's most certainly people out there maybe in your life or maybe not that would look at those two things and and think huh I don't know about that like you've got the you've got the birth doula which is like you know looked at as as a really like beautiful um uh you know useful um uh, kind of 
a privilege to have yeah, in yeah, your like, life. Yeah, a job that's like selfless and like and like wonderful. And then you have like the se- the the icky sex work. That's <laughs> mm-hmm. like that's the that's that nasty and like that you don't want to naughty with and and so and oh yeah, so different like from that. like from like babies and birth and and the beauty <laughs> of family. It's like it mm-hmm. tears families apart. It's kind of the Madonna and the whore <laughs> yeah, complex, yeah, right? Yeah, right. So mm-hmm. what kinds of uh, reactions did you have in your personal life um, to, you know, did you run up against any of that with, with people that, people that view sex work in this antiquated, like, backwards way of thinking um, versus, you know, what perhaps, you, you know, some other people in your life who were like, hey, that's fucking rad. They're both really valiant and beautiful and awesome and needed positions in the world. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's such a good question. I am smiling, you know, over the memories of how the past few months have gone. Um, I'm I'm lucky that the people who I've heard of negative reactions from have really been peripheral to me. Like it's more been somebody that I'm close with who told someone because I'm close with them, oh, this is what Gem is up to now. Mm-hmm. And then they filtered back to me through the grapevine what they got, the flag that came to them. And so it really is peripheral. I think that I I'm very proud of having cultivated a close circle of extremely odd, queer, random, wobbly, bizarre, kinky people. Like I, I just am surrounded by people who are like, yeah, bro, sex work, you know, <laughs> like that, that's, those are the people I'm really interacting with, but for sure it has been there. People who said like, oh, well, I guess that they just don't have values anymore. Or I guess that their values right. are not the same as our values. Or somebody who said, what? They're just going to become a prostitute? What is that about? Like people who laughed at it, yeah. you know, people who found it funny. And it's all just a reflection on, I think, the the things that they've internalized from these massive oppressive cultures that, you know, have committed all of these human genocides and cultural genocides throughout the past millennia. I mean, it's this Madonna whore thing. It's so historical, you know, it's so not today. It's so hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And um, even just like the, um, where would I even start? Like the um, Catholic church took the medical textbooks at one point and they straight up went to the anatomy and physiology of people with vulvas and they just erased and just straight up banned and blocked any words that were associated with organs, which could cause pleasure. Mm. So the clitoris was lost. (laughs) Um, And then, you know, when you think about when the clitoris was refound again, in maybe like the 18 or 1900s or whatever, some, some of the, problems with it were that the doctors were all men and they were performing um, autopsies as their primary mode of medical research. And they were performing autopsies almost exclusively on male cadavers. Mm -hmm. And even when they had female cadavers, the problem was in a cadaver, in a dead person, you can't actually, there's really no good, clear, obvious way to tell where erectile tissue exists because the person's dead. So it's a Mm non-functional, right? So the the men who were observing men would just write it into the scientific literature because they could assume and they could project, well, I have erectile tissue in this area. So I'm sure that this person also did. And there was nobody to draw that leap and say, well, maybe people with vulvas actually have the exact same amount of erectile (laughs) tissue, but it's just placed in different areas. 
Um, and maybe the clitoris is not just, you know, a tiny little bead with a little hood over it. Maybe it's actually a whole enervated um, nerve system that is that is enervated and filled with blood and connections throughout the entire pelvic floor of the being um, who has it. And, you know, it's just so much uh, so much that we feel like we're discovering was long known and actively repressed. Mm. Like this is all, none, none of these beliefs are a coincidence. None of these quote unquote value systems that people feel they hold that make them horophobic are a coincidence. It's all very calculated and it all had a purpose and like the political purpose for the gender binary and for, you know, forcing people into monogamous, like, uh, marriage, basically monogamous legal contracts in which somebody who had a womb was kind of enslaved in some ways to somebody with a penis. And then both from the church and the government, you were not allowed to use contraception. So you were shamed on a public and social level, but you also could be like literally jailed and penalized for the use of contraception. You know, they were trying to fill places with new workers new indoctrinated citizens, you know, new people who were going to adhere to the ideologies of the people who had basically won the fights or killed the others. Like, I know that's a kind of scary and sad view on it, but it's just, I don't view these as these people's individual thoughts. I view them as brainwashed and um, totally. yeah, I'm yeah. grateful to be having conversations with people like you where we can just start to uncover this because it's not fair for us to continue living in these cycles this yeah far after the fact like it's we're t it's we are overdue for liberation mm -hmm. oh my god mm -hmm. i am <clears throat> okay i'm just gonna write that down because i'm always writing down possible like episode titles like overdue for liberation yes please what was the first point on the uh oh yes we were just talking about monogamous yeah contracts and one of the things we wanted to chat about was the value of monogamous couples hiring engaging with escorts and i take it this is something oh, you have how dare you <laughs> that dirty dirty word <laughs> that dirty profession and are we talking about like when we say escorts because this can be different things depending on where we're talking about um are we talking about like full service sex work uh sex workers are we talking about uh sex doulas um who come in there and sort of facilitate monogamous interactions like what what do you mean when you when you when you say escort that's so great i more had in mind like a like a typical sex worker who's going to be having some kind of sexual or intimate or sensual relationship with you know a couple or with people in a couple um in a you know consensual professional way um but yeah i mean it could branch out i think so this this was the story that kind of opened my mind around this Obviously, I come with a bit of a bias because I do practice ethical non-monogamy in my private life. And so I feel like a lot of these kind of hurdles I had to go through to kind of get over my own internalized like uh, preference for monogamy or maybe how would I say like value judgments around monogamy and polyamory. So I'm I'm a biased resource, but I found it really fulfilling in my own life to admit and and give permission for the ways that we have more needs than can usually typically be satisfied by only one person for the rest of our lives because just like we've been talking about we go through different states of 
availability. You know, even somebody who's in a marriage with somebody who might have gone through a massive grief, that person might find that they have no libido for like the first three to six months after the impact of their loss. But does that mean that the person they're monogamous with should also have no libido for those three to six Mm. months? I mean, I think there are just open questions that I feel comfortable kind of touching and massaging on in my work. Um, But in a very like, way where I try not to be threatening um, towards people's commitments, because I do honor the fact that monogamous people have committed to monogamy for their reasons. So it's not to me about upending anything. But I had a couple who reached out to me and they were straight and they were monogamous and they actually were each other's firsts. Mm. Okay. They got together at a young age. They were really happy together. They saw no need to really explore polyamory on a grander scale. Um, but the, the issue was that they were straight together and the woman actually, as she grew, you know, went to university, had some years after college was in the professional world, started to come to terms with the fact that she did truly identify as queer. Mm -hmm. And that became something that she held really dear to herself, but they got into discussions then around the question of how could she ever potentially explore that if they were in this monogamous relationship. And so they ended up approaching me together to have kind of like a a threesome date for them to be able to basically work with me for her to explore her queerness. And then after the date, we had a lovely time. I remember seeing them just kind of like off in their own little space. I gave them some, you know, it was like their time for quiet time, I felt, and they were making out and they were kissing and they were touching and they were just giving sweet nothings and checking in with each other and really holding space for how that landed with each other. And I remember feeling like this is theirs. This experience belongs to them. The way that they choose to integrate it and communicate around it and the way that it may or may not not impact their intimacy, their touch language, their perceptions of gender, any choices they might make around monogamy or non-monogamy in the future. I just felt so clearly that that was theirs and that there was no part of me that wanted to like infringe on that. Mm. And I, I felt so comforted and so touched. It was very precious to me to witness them kind of um, give each other permission to explore that in this safe context. And I think that when you see a professional, you're much more likely to have great boundaries, great safety practices, um, really strong stellar communication, check-ins afterwards if you need. You know, it's less likely that you're going to be in a situation where you might get ghosted or something, you know, really unexpected could happen. Um, and a professional is obviously not there to like steal your partner. Yeah. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah, I just like normalizing that for people. I think a lot of straight uh, couples or even, we don't have to just say straight, but monogamous couples wouldn't even consider the idea of hiring a professional or working with a sex worker because they're just like, well, we're monogamous, end of story, goodbye. And I'm like, is that the end of the story? Or are there mm-hmm. a lot of nuances and areas for playfulness? And I like to encourage people to consider that it might be a safe way to explore various needs. A hundred percent. And especially when, you know, we've had lots of conversations about looking for a third and how yeah. to find a third person to engage with a couple and all how to how to prevent, you know, issues from arising from that situation and what to do. And it's yeah. just like hire a professional yeah. who is not like emotionally going to get in there and, and have those types of needs necessary. Like obviously boundaries. Yes. But isn't looking for anything more mm. than that kind of arrangement. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's like a really safe way 
about it, especially for, you know, especially for a couple that are coming into it with like any sort of reservation about uh, like, you know, that like jealousy or, or, or feelings or, or even like, even the worries of like, yeah, but I don't want like, you know, the, this third person, like, uh, what if, what if we hurt their feelings or, you know, what if in the middle of it, we just, we just decide, fuck, it's too much. We can't do it. You know, a professional is going to go, okay. <laughs> you know, that was, yeah. my, I mean, I'm here. I'm, I'm, you're the client I'm here to serve. to serve. And so if it's, if it's not cool with you, I'm not going to sit here and be like, guilt trip you because I, you know, I took this time out of my, or not, yeah, or not, yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, to that point though, um, uh, just as much as someone might have an incredible experience with someone who isn't a professional, you know, sex worker and is just someone that they met on a, an app or someone that they met at the bar. Um, and just as much as it's the chances of them doing that exact same thing, but it being a horrible experience, I'm sure with, with, um, with professional sex workers, you have sex workers that that was amazing. And then sex workers, you go, eh, that wasn't so great. And so mm-hmm. to that point, is there, what kinds of like questions would you say to a person or to people that are in an, in a relationship that are looking to hire a professional to help them out in a situation like that? Like a, you know, adding a third for the very first time, what are the mm-hmm. questions or things that you would say for them to ask their potential sex worker um, a job to, interview. Yeah, yeah, exactly. To get a sense <laughs> of like whether or not it would be a good fit. That's great. I think talking about fantasy is really important. And I, I find it, I feel it's my role as the escort to ask what's your fantasy and to ask both parties what's your fantasy because immediately it will be clear whether their fantasies are aligned and compatible or whether they're actually on two totally different pages and we have to find the Venn diagram and start to play in the interstitial tissues there. Um So yeah, I think understanding the fantasy is a nice core question because it also gets to like, what do you really want? What do you dream of? Which is more important than just, uh, what are you looking for? You know? Um, And then in any kind of, before we would play a scene or before I would have any kind of, you know, session with people while we're kind of getting acquainted and having water and sitting down and flirting maybe a little bit, then I would bring up the question of intentions and boundaries. Mm -hmm. I like that framework. I've worked with it a long time. It serves me really well, especially in kinky contexts. I think, again, intention gets to something core. It's more of a um, deep level question than what sex acts do you want from me today? Because I'm also not transactional in that way. Like people don't just get a sex act from me because they demand it. You know, like they can ask for something and want something and then I can express how I feel about that, you know, right? Like I'm not Mm. a doll, I'm a human. And I also, I find some people are um, benefiting also from me modeling that with them. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) People who might be a little bit uh, less experienced with those types of frank conversations. Um, So yeah, modeling that by asking intentions and then modeling that by asking boundaries. And some people aren't uh, experienced expressing boundaries. And so then I can also um, serve as an example. So I can come through and say, oh, well, a boundary for me is I don't accept any painful touch in the center of my back because it's very sensitive. And what about you? Do you have any areas that are painful today or that you'd prefer I don't touch? But just getting specific with that framework, I think that's a great jumping off point. And that should bring the majority of things to the surface for most people. Hmm. That's brilliant. I had a question and I lost it. Do you have any other examples of like, because that, that, that example of the couple looking to hire someone to come in and help, help 
um, help them explore, you know, like their, their queerness or help them explore sexuality outside of just the two of them when that's all they know. Um, do you have any other examples of, of like how and, and why a sex worker could, um, be kind of useful in, in being hired by a couple for specific examples? Sure. I mean, (laughs) one thing that comes to mind is cuckold, cuckold play. Um, that's a, that's a good old favorite. Um, (laughs) some people, really enjoy seeing their partner be intimate with another person. Some people enjoy being watched by their partner being intimate with another person. So that can be a fun game to play with threes. Um, Obviously everything done, you know, with lots of consent and care and aftercare and all of that. Um, Yeah, I think uh, my kinky brain also runs wild a little bit. Um, There are certain kinks that just from a logistical level could benefit from three bodies. <laughs> Someone to spot while you're trying. Indeed, indeed, yeah. Um, but for sure, yeah. If you just said tying, like for yeah, a suspension scene, like how great mm. would it be to have um a rope bottom and a rope top, and then like a, a rope assist? Mm-hmm. Um, that would be great. Or um, I've been in some lovely per- interpersonal dynamics where we've done like double doming on one sub which for me when I'm submitting and it's with people that I'm really into and they're double doming me to, to me, it's literally like the maximum amount of pleasure. It's just so much pleasure and joy. Um, I had like an impact scene. This was in my personal life before I was pro um, where I was receiving impact kind of like on my ass and thighs and the back of my legs from two doms who were both giving me like strong impact with their hands. And at some point I really couldn't sense the difference between who I was receiving sensation from. Hmm. And I remember that the chaos of it, like not being able to place the sensations was actually incredibly um, like mind opening because I wasn't able to organize the sensations and make meaning of them in the way that I was kind of habituated to also as like a very brainy and kind of overthinking person. And I just immediately went into subspace, like mm-hmm. instantaneous. I literally saw outer space behind my blindfold. Like I was like hosting through the darkness. It was so um, otherworldly. It, it just was wonderful. And then, you know, of course you could, you could upend that, that dynamic and say, okay, well, what about like two subs with one Dom, which I've also played with. And, um, like if you're a bratty sub in that kind of situation, you might be like trying to get attention from teacher kind of thing. Like, well, I'm the one that's acting out the most. I deserve the most punishment or I'm so obedient. I'm so good. Give me a lollipop and a sticker and this other sub there, like throw them under the bus. And like, there's all kinds of like ridiculous, playful things that I think you can do when there's just like uneven numbers. Mm. But yeah, it's infinite. What came up for me while you were saying that is, is like proprioception. Like when you, so I'm a massage therapist and sometimes when I create a change in someone's body, they're like, I, I don't know where my shoulders are anymore. And that's what that reminded me of. It's like, if you can't tell where sensation is coming from, then your body, does it just lose all of its edges and you just merge Mm. with the universe? Mm. That's what it sounds like to me. I love you asking that question. I have no answers, but I'm so down to live that question with you. I uh, I had a question about the, just specifically about being um, someone, a, a queer person in the escort service to a couple, specifically in that situation that you shared or that story that you shared where the... Um, <laughs> 
person had discovered their own queerness. Do you think in that situation, like I identify as female, if I were a professional sex worker looking to help couples out, do you think that I also should identify as queer if I'm putting myself forward as a third who can help someone explore their queerness? This is just kind of an out there question, but it got stuck in my head. Hmm. I love that question. Honestly, identify in that situation, however you identify, queen. Like, live your (laughs) truth. Like, you can do whatever the fuck you want. Identity is so plastic. It's so plastic. I my my like really close friend who does um sex work and has done it for like nine or ten years, super experienced. He is a male, well, kind of male non-binary blend provider. And um yeah, they're basically like mostly providing, like from what I understand, quite a lot of uh gay sex work, like to to men. They're they're very desirable for male clients. And yeah. we had, you know, a private conversation about the fact that they don't necessarily experience physical desire for men, hmm. but that they're very comfortable doing sessions with them. And it was just such a lovely little edge for us to play into. And, you know, we were kind of talking about like, does it make you queer if you're basically having sexual relations with men who you don't necessarily desire, but could potentially be aroused around? And, you know, like, I'm all for the nuance. Like, Mm -hmm. I definitely think you could be like, I'm a straight identified provider who provides for couples and sure, maybe I just, maybe you love and appreciate um, vulva people for like the the majesty of them. Maybe you worship them. Maybe you love to instruct people how to touch them. Mm. Yeah. Live your truth, whatever. Yeah. I think that's a good point because like real realistically it, it just boils down to your comfort level, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's, if you, if you are and comfortable, imagination? Sh- I mean, sure. Even if you like m- maybe, but like if you, if, if the, if your comfort level is on par with, with, whatever would be the you know the opposite of that or like if you're if if you are comfortable with it it's going to show with the person that you're with and then they'll feel safe whereas a you know if you were trying if you were offering that service but you were there was a part of you that's like nah, i don't really know I don't if like it yeah exactly it's yeah. I, that's going to shine through yeah, and totally. so why mm-hmm. why even why even put yourself in that situation yeah. if you're completely comfortable with it hell yeah you know that that's that's what the that's what the client's going to appreciate and pick up on and feel Mm -hmm. right and that's Mm -hmm. what will make it you know a special experience that's cool yeah i do love that that. i uh i i mean this has been this has been a really fun and like eye-opening conversation gem you're 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 a delight to talk to a gem well i have <laughs> loved yeah. this thank you uh i would love for you to please plug away you have a you have a podcast don't you i do i do what's your um, podcast Okay, it's called Pleasure Container, and it should be available everywhere. I don't know, Spotify, YouTube, mm-hmm. um, Google, whatever. It's a video podcast, so fun. And uh, yeah, I, I also do um, one-on-one coaching, uh, and you know, coaching for me, it's it's sort of it's the extension of my doula work now. So it's a healing modality, and people can come to me with grief. People can come to me with um, desire to receive abundance. People can come to me with pleasure questions, um, sex and intimacy stuff. Love to help with that. I also do couples uh, coaching, so I love to hold space for couples who are kind of like having the same fight over and over again. You know what I mean? Like people yeah. who are like help help us navigate through this. I love love to do that. 
Um, and then, yeah, besides the podcast and coaching, you can always, of course, book me as an escort, as a pro dom. Um, you can find me on Kaufmich, which is like the German site. Um, and if you look, look up Godex Gem, that's me. So Godex is like the non-binary form of goddess. So it's G-O-D-D-X-S-S and then Gem, G-E-M. So that's well, me. We'll have that in the show notes for sure. Yeah, 100%. Love it. Uh, this has been a real treat. Thank yeah, you so much, thank Jen. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a beautiful, beautiful rest of your day. All right, there we have it, folks. Hope you enjoyed that conversation that we just had. And uh, thanks for listening to the podcast. If you want to support the podcast further, you can do that by leaving a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, or you can simply rate the podcast on the Spotify mobile app. And uh, if you want to uh, support the podcast even further than that, which you can. Wow. You can You're go to so kind and thoughtful and so generous. Thoughtful, so generous. Go to patreon.com slash turn me on. Uh, to become a patron and help us uh, keep this podcast afloat. Well, if you want to reach out to us, turnmeonpodcast at gmail.com is always open for all of your messages. That's the best way to get in touch if you have a question for us, if you'd like to be a guest on the show, if you have a recommendation for a guest on the show, or if you just want to send us a little love note, uh, email money transfer, uh, all of that. Sex toy. <laughs> you know, we're, we're our email inbox is open to you. That is it for this week. Until next week. Why don't you go touch yourself? Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.